Our scripture passage this evening is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. It can be found on page 1,242 in your pew Bibles, as well as article 27 of the Belgic, which can be found on page 183 in your forms and prayers book. Ephesians 2, 11-22 provides us in many ways a description of various aspects and attributes of the church. Before we read, let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we pray that you would open up your word to us as we, we contemplate the topic, what is the church? We pray that you would give us a great understanding and a greater appreciation of you and the church, which you have, by your grace, brought us in as members. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Sends our reading from Ephesians chapter 2. We turn our attention now to article 27 of the Belgic, which is on the Holy Catholic Church, not to be confused with the Roman Catholic Church, but rather what is the universal church. That is that meaning of the term Catholic. This is what we believe about the church. We believe and confess one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers, awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. The church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. And this holy church is preserved by God against the rage of the whole world, even though for a time may appear very small in the eyes of men, as though it were snuffed out. For example, during the very dangerous time of Ahab, the Lord preserved for himself 7,000 men who did not bend their knees to Baal. And so this holy church is not confined, bound, or limited to a certain place or certain persons. 
but it is spread and dispersed throughout the entire world, though still joined and united in heart and will, in one and the same spirit, by the power of faith. Tonight we contemplate the question, what is the church? It's a basic question, one that we should know and have a good Good, good answer for what is this of which and to which we belong? What is this church? How would we define it? I think the general working definition we have of a church, what do we mean by that, is usually just the place and the people. We usually combine it, the place and the people to which we come, sing together, worship, and listen to a sermon. I think that would be for most, for most people their working definition of a church. It's the place I go to worship. That's what the church is. And if you press them on it, most people would probably say, no, I know it's, it's not the building itself. I know it's not that location necessarily, but it's, it's, the, it's the body, it's the group. But that is what they would most likely say. I think it's for that reason, church membership, the understanding of the importance of church has fallen on very difficult times. You see, if the church is simply just that place that you go to to hear a sermon, well, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty pretty low bar set. It's a pretty thin definition of what we just read in the Belgic that explains what really the church is, what we really believe about the church. This is also probably the reason most people think to be in a church, to be good members of it, is you just need to listen to the sermons, and also why we would probably have the, the understanding today, well, if I listen to the sermon, if I'm not there in attendance, but I can just watch it, that that is church. That's good enough. Where technology is a great blessing, it's a great blessing to be able to watch a church service from our homes for whatever reason has kept us from being present. We have to understand that the mere activity of what we do in worship is not the church. We could even say that worship is perhaps and probably is the, the activity of the church. The highest activity of the church is to worship. Is the church, though, worship? Well, no, it's not. It's much more than that. What we're actually discussing tonight is what makes the church the church. It's the attributes of the church. Just like the attributes of God are the things that comp could comprise who he is, his very being... The attributes of the church are saying this is part and parcel of what the church is. Without these attributes, it wouldn't be the church, that this is the church. This is what shows the being and nature of the church. And this is actually one of the most relevant sections of the Belgic that we begin here this evening in Article 27, the doctrine of the church. Why do I say it's most relevant? Because if you think of our situation and our country, at the very least, our context, we would see that the church is largely pushed aside, largely neglected in its importance. And so we have to understand it. That's why it is so relevant for us to see. There are generally two dangers in which we fall when we think of the church. And that is the institutional side of a definition of a church. That it's all the institution, that the church and its definition is limited solely to the church officers or to, to a figure like a pope, that the church is the officers in that church. It's the authority of the church. It's the institution. And that's what some would say, but that isn't correct. And another way we would fail is to say it in an individualistic way, that the church is all the individuals. It's subjective. It's the people or just just the person. 
it's me, that, I, that, that that's really what part of the church is, that I can have my own church service, that I don't need to actually be part of a full community, or that it's just the one community. Both of that is a individualistic, a, sub, a subjective way of looking at the church, which isn't correct, and we have to steer away from those two errors. So it's interesting that today where we see so little value in the church, we see the Belgic actually takes up the most time in articles is spent on the doctrine of the church itself and explaining it to us. We confessed our faith in the Nicene Creed, and I, I drew our attention to that, to that phrase. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. Those are the attributes of the church. Those four things are recognized to be the formal attributes of the church. One, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. And we'll look at those this evening. We'll go through that. Those are the, the formal attributes. We'll also add a couple others, not, not that we're just adding to what makes up the attributes of the church, but various points that the Belgic directs us, and even our, our text from Ephesians brings us to. These attributes are the features that are peculiar to the invisible church, to the church that is the true elect. That means that these attributes, one, holy, Catholic, apostolic, that doesn't apply in its, in its most precise way to the visible church, but rather the number of the elect. You see there, we recognize in that distinction that in a visible church, in a visible body, there may be and are those present who don't truly belong. To them, there isn't that understanding of this spiritual unity, this, this faith being washed in Christ's blood. They, those attributes don't belong in that way to them. And so these attributes describe what is the true church, those who are elect God's people. So we are, we're saying, what is the church? That's what we're asking. Well, let's start defining it. The Belgic says in Article 27, one single Catholic or universal church, a holy congregation and gathering of true Christian believers awaiting their entire salvation in Jesus Christ, being washed by his blood and sanctified and sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's a description of those inside the church. One way to helpfully determine, well, what's the church, is to answer the question, what's not the church? What's not the church? How is those outside, how are those outside the church described? We see that in our text from Ephesians. Paul says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So our passage first would say to not the church is that the body that is not unified with Christ. They're separated. Separated from Christ. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. Why is this important? Well, as our text says, the reason it's important to know what the church is is because to be outside of it, to be outside of God's people, is, as our text would say, to be hopeless, alienated, outside of the promises of God. And so if we don't understand what is a church, if we don't understand what is and are the attributes of the church, we could make that error to not be joined to it. And later, in a few articles, we'll look at what are the marks of the true church to see how you distinguish between a true and false church. But here we're just seeing those attributes about it. To be not in it is hopeless, and here's why it's so important. 
In your handout, I provide six ways of defining the church, and we're going to go through those. We're going to go through each one to see what is the church. First, when we're defining the church, we see that even in our article that it's to be washed in Christ's blood. We see that in our text as well. Verse 13 of our text provides a sharp break between what the Gentiles once were to what the believing Gentiles are now. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near. And you could say, by what? How have they been brought near the blood of Christ? It's the blood of Christ that has brought them near, that has washed them. It's not circumcision. It's not membership in the people of Israel. It's not becoming a Jew. It's washing in Christ's blood. Salvation does not come through church membership. It comes through the washing of Christ's blood. And if you're so washed in Christ's blood, then you are part of God's people. There are also those today who would would gauge their standing in their salvation, standing on the church membership, just their attendance. Are they there? Do they participate? Well, that's not what this, that's not what the church is. That's what this protects us from. It's not just simply being there. It's actually believing and being washed in Christ's blood that brings you into the church itself. You cannot have Jesus but reject the church. If you are going to have Jesus, you are going to have the church. And we need to get that straight, because that truth is attacked today almost like none other. You can't claim Jesus as your Savior without the church as your body, because Christ claims the church as his body. Christ joins himself to his people, to the elect. They are the body of Christ. And our internal reality, if we have true faith, must match the external reality of our membership in a local body, in a church. And if we don't have that, we have a problem. If we do not join ourselves to a church and have the outward expression of that internal reality, if that's, if that's not what we have, it's a problem. There's a problem in our thinking, there's a problem in our life. We are commanded to submit to elders. We are commanded to have elders over us. We are commanded to gather together with God's people. All of this requires what we would call church membership. Salvation only comes through the blood of Jesus. Article 27 says that the church is a holy congregation of true Christian believers, all expecting their salvation in Jesus Christ being washed by his blood. And so that first point we look at, it's to be washed in Christ's blood. Those, that's what belongs to the church as well, being washed in Christ's blood. Second, as we define the church, is the one. So I know I'm trying to explain this. I know that I'm adding right there, being washed in Christ's blood is adding to the Nicene creeds that it's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Again, I'm not saying that that's a formal part of the attributes of the church. The formal attributes of the church, theologically speaking, are one, holy, Catholic, and apostolic. But you see that being washed in Christ's blood is, is foundational to all of that. That's, that's why we, go, we, we started first with being washed in Christ's blood. But now we look at the formal attributes of the church, and that, the, that is that the church is one. Verse 14 of our text says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 2 is talking about the Gentiles being brought in. 
being brought into the people of God. And what is torn down was this wall of separation. What is torn down are these regulations and stipulations that separated God's people from the Gentiles. This, in Christ's blood, has been torn down. And what the text is saying is he's brought them together. There is one people of God. Some would say, well, the church, the church or God's people are the Jews and the church. It's divided. You have the Jews, you have the church, those are the people of God. But it's not. This text shows that there is one people of God. It crosses all races. There is only one one body, one people. That's what the text is saying. When we speak of the attributes of the church as one, what we're primarily talking about is a spiritual unity. What we're primarily talking about is a spiritual unity. That is how we are one. It's not something we think about a lot, but we are all spiritually united to Christ. And since we're spiritually united to Christ, we're united to each other. 1 Corinthians would talk about that in chapter 13. We are one body, united together. That is, again, why church membership and belonging to the church is so important. So we're speaking primarily about a spiritual unity We also can talk about the oneness of the church in these ways. There's first, one body connected in all times. Second, we're under the one head of Christ. Third, we're joined by the one Holy Spirit. Fourth, we confess one faith, one love, one hope, one baptism. So those points are one body, one head, one spirit, one confession. This is how the church is one. God's plan with the church is not a part one with Israel and then a part two with the church. The church existed when God created the world and created Adam. The church has existed from the beginning and will last to the end, and it has always been one, one body. God's plan of redemption has always included the nations to be brought back into the one single people of God. Verse 18 of our text says, through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Thus, we say the church is one. We've seen, first, part of being the church, washing Christ's blood. Second, being one. Third, holy. That's what we see. Defining the church, it is a holy church. Verse 21 of our text says that this church grows into a holy temple in the Lord. This has a both a present reality and a future reality. Presently, we are considered holy. We're God's people. We're set apart. And we can even understand that holiness and that we are righteous. Not perfectly so, but we are a holy people, a holy congregation. Yes, not perfectly, but in part. And so we're described as holy. That's that present reality. The future reality is that we will be one day perfectly holy We're set apart, God's people. We are being made righteous and will be righteous. So the church is holy. Verse 22 of our text even provides a picture of what the church really is. It is the dwelling place of God. The holy, set-apart dwelling place of God. That's what the church is. It's amazing that we can and do belong to this. That we're part of it. Let's be happy and joyful that we belong to the church. It's not a burden. It's an amazing blessing that Ephesians 2 would say 
in its imagery, you are literally pieces, blocks of the temple of God. As you are joined to Him, as you are His body, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. These are blessings that God reserves for His people, His body, the church. It's a profound blessing. And that's also where we need to find our identity. Our identity is being part of the people of God. It's not in anything else. It's in Christ. And in being part of the covenant community, that is our identity. And we need to rejoice in that. It's a tremendous blessing to be called holy. Everything I'm saying right now, yes, it's being presented a little bit more teachy so that we understand it. But everything we're saying about the church is describing you. You are washed in Christ's blood, one with him and each other, holy and set apart. And as we proceed through, these other attributes are something that describes you as you belong to Christ, his people. 1 Corinthians 6, 17 says, He who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You see, this, this definition of the church, this is what we're saying. When we define the church, we are saying it's one universal community of believers, washed in Christ's blood, built on the apostolic word, made holy by the Spirit, and permanently preserved by God. That's what the church is. And so we see that the church is holy. Next, we see that the church is Catholic or universal. That's what that term Catholic means. When we say it's Catholic, we're stressing the universal aspect of the church. This stresses the fact that the church is not limited by location or national boundary. It isn't encompassed by a specific region, time, or place. There isn't one denomination or one federation that makes up the entire church. The church is universal in its extent. It goes around the globe, and it is not limited in that way. It's not limited to ethnic Israel. It is not limited to Dutch people. It is not limited to Americans or to Chinese. It's not limited in any of this way. It's universal. That's the expression of the oneness we already talked about. The universality of the church is saying it crosses all boundaries. The reason this we need to understand this is that we cannot think that in our federation or in other denominations that that's, that's the church, that's the one church. We do a better job and would do a better job of understanding that we have many, many brothers and sisters in other churches, in other nations, around the globe, and it's not just us. Denominations and federations are blessings. They're ways in which we can gather as like-minded believers, be united under a common confession, have the same theology, have the same church order, run well, that's a great blessing. But we can't then become so concerned just with our own people that we forget there's a universal Catholic church to which we belong, and that's, that's the real church to which we are members, and our church is a member of that. But it's much larger than, than just us, or our country, the side of the globe even. It's universal. 
That's what it means when we say it is Catholic. Fifth, when we're defining the church, we say it's apostolic. What's apostolic? This means that the church is found in adherence to and teaching apostolic doctrine. It's, it's founded on what the apostles taught. It's founded on the gospel. Its foundation is God's word. Verse 19 of our text says that the one household or church of God is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles were unique in that they were tasked with laying the foundation, which means as the foundation is laid, we have in Scripture all we need. To say the apostles are our foundation isn't to say it's just their works. It means how they taught all of God's word and the revelation they gave to us that was inspired is our foundation. We read and understand all of God's word in light of what Jesus and through the apostles taught. This is our foundation. This then also means that if you're not founded on that, if a church isn't founded on this apostolicity, it's not a real church. It doesn't possess that attribute of the true word of God. We have that foundation laid in the the apostles and the prophets. This is also why we have to be very careful when we speak. When we speak in such ways and say things like, God spoke to me or the Spirit said to me. We can't allow any room for continuing revelation because the foundation has already been laid. The apostles have spoken. And the apostles were a unique office that isn't repeated here. We were founded on what they taught, and that has passed away. The church did not create the Bible. Rather, the Bible created the church. That's the very authority that the church possesses comes from God's Word. God's Word is what formed the church. The church isn't just some nice invention by Christians. The church is not some optional religious group. It is the very dwelling place of God who was laid down and created in His own Word. That's why it is troubling. It's troubling to see so so many Christians treating the church and, and their part in it as an afterthought. All these things really matter. The church is the, the blessing to God's people. The church is the way by which we receive God's word and the strengthening of our faith. We don't have a part to say in that. It is not our authority or our right to say, I don't need that. Or I won't be a part of it. We don't have that right. And why would we want it? We can't just treat the church in that way as, as an afterthought, as non-important. Last, we see the last defining characteristic of the church is, this is another one that the Nicene Creed doesn't mention, but we see in the Belgic and that is that it is permanent, that the church is permanent. The Belgic says, This church has existed from the beginning of the world and will last until the end, as appears from the fact that Christ is eternal king who cannot be without subjects. The church is permanent. This point can be made rather briefly. The church, in all that we have said, is God's own dwelling place. Can the dwelling place of God be destroyed or fail? The answer is, of course, no. The permanence of the church is that it will and 
will always be, it will last, it has always been, will always, will, will always be, it endures, it's permanent. This gives us great joy to know that God places that care, that he will protect it and protect us. We have this rock to which we can cling. Membership with God, dwelling with him, is an unshakable foundation no matter what happens. And even as the Belgic says, even if at times it seems as if the church is so small, it's so insignificant it seems at times, the numbers are so low, it will never fail. It will always stand. It is permanent. So as we've seen, what's the church? The church is one universal community of believers, washed in Christ's blood, built on the apostolic word, made holy by the Spirit, and permanently preserved by God. So what, though? What's the application here? I want to give us four applications briefly. The first is that we are to be thankful. The first is that we are to be thankful for all that we've heard of what the church is and that we belong to it. It should cause us to rejoice and praise the Lord to bless us with this body and assembly of a holy congregation washed by God and his blood, permanent in all these ways. We praise him for it. Second, how do we apply this? One word, belong. Belong to it. We should understand the importance of knowing that the church is necessary, that we must belong to a true church. It is the visible church that represents the aspects of the invisible reality of who we are. And thus, our external behavior, our external membership should and must match our internal profession of faith that we belong to this body of believers. So belong. Third, propel you to good works. If you are holy and we are in God's church, we truly believe this means we must behave in a holy way. That we're set apart. That's what that text from 1 Corinthians said, that if you are a holy temple, how can you take what is holy and sin? So our knowledge, a part of our attribute as the church is that we are holy, should propel us to more obedience and faithfulness. And fourth, this should give us assurance and peace. The permanence of the church gives us assurance and peace. We are assured that God will keep his people to cause us to persevere. So all that we're saying here about what the church is causes us to be thankful. It charges us to belong. It propels us to good works. It gives us strength. Strength to endure and to stand. It is a great blessing, as our text says, that we are the dwelling place of of God. That's what Ephesians says about us. Verse 22, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amazing blessing. Amazing blessing what God is doing and fashioning in his people to be his dwelling. Let's go before God and thank him for the church and our membership in it. Father in heaven, we turn to you and praise your name. We praise you for what we see about the church, these attributes of the church, these characteristics. To know that we are washed in your blood. To know that we are one. 
that we are holy, we are universal, that we are founded on the apostles and what they taught, what you taught, and that the church is permanent, that we are that body of believers. We praise you for this blessing, and we praise you for the, the, the thanksgiving it gives us. We praise you for the charge that it gives us to belong, and the strength membership in your church gives. We ask that we would seek always to be active members in it, that we would seek always to live a holy life in tune with who we are in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.